Hi, I'm Nicole Davidson, and this is the Negotiation in Real Life podcast, the show where we take the lessons learned in real life negotiations to help you build your negotiation toolkit. We'll be hearing from lawyers, entrepreneurs, and senior business people about their best and worst negotiations. Negotiation is one of the most important skills for success in business and in life, but it's a skill we are rarely taught. For many of us, we develop our skills purely through trial and error. We see what works, discard what doesn't, and if we're lucky, we'll have a few good mentors along the way. In this podcast, we're going to give you access to an even greater range of negotiation mentors. Enjoy this episode and please reach out if you have any questions. In this episode of Negotiation in Real Life, I speak with Miriam Sandcooler, aka The Property Maven. Miriam is an accredited property investment advisor and licensed buyer's agent with over 25 years of experience in the property industry. Miriam helps clients create wealth by providing independent and unbiased property advice, which enables smarter investment decisions and more profitable outcomes. Miriam is passionate about supporting her clients and helping them achieve financial independence and security throughout their property investment journey, while fiercely protecting their interests at all times. Miriam's knowledge and passion for educating others led to her book, Property Prosperity, Seven Steps to Investing Like an Expert, and becoming one of Amazon's best-selling authors. She also mentors financial advisors on how to better support their clients when investing in property and has written a course, Integrating Property Advice, which is offered via Property Mavens Academy. Miriam is committed to protecting her clients from overpaying or being misled during the buying process and is a leading advocate and regular media commentator on buyers' rights. From 2015 to 2017, Miriam successfully campaigned for the Victorian Government to introduce legislation to end the misleading practice of price underquoting. In our discussion today, we talk about the importance of emotional intelligence in negotiation, tips for dealing with narcissists, focusing on finding trusted partners to negotiate with, how to deal with suspected bluffs without calling them, and much, much more. This is an episode not to be missed if you are getting ready to buy or sell a property. So Miriam, thank you for coming on to Negotiation in Real Life today. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Nicole. It's great to be here. So Miriam, as a property advocate, you are doing negotiations every day. It's your bread and butter, if you like. And I'm sure we're going to talk about some fabulous examples of your negotiations along the way but perhaps before we get into some of those you might just like to give a brief overview of what you do and and how you got into it. Yeah so we are a multi-award winning industry recognised property advocacy agency so we do buyer and vendor advocacy as well as provide um, property advice and portfolio reviews for clients. What that means is we're basically advising and helping clients successfully buy property um, or, or and or sell property so they can seamlessly move forward into the next chapter of their lives. And we're basically working with home buyers, downsizers, upgraders, investors, as well as um, people selling their property as part of that, that transition and, and um, journey. Fantastic. And how did you get into that work, Miriam? Yeah, it's really interesting. It kind of found me. Um, I have a financial planning background, so I actually take a financial planning approach to property investing. And I was working um, with an accounting practice who created a development division. They got me involved in uh, selling what's known as managed investment scheme real estate. 
And that was my entry into the real estate um, sector, albeit through a, a financial advice-based uh, form of real estate. And then eventually, you know, I did some study and, you know, managed to learn about the different asset types and the different type, uh, risk types when it came to buying property um, and was very aware of the fact that people can make really bad decisions really easily. Uh, I was also aware of the fact that most people are educated when it comes to property by selling agents. And, of course, selling agents have always got an agenda to sell whatever it is on their, their stock list. So they're always going to give people biased advice around why something makes a great investment property or why they should buy this home. But what was severely lacking was representation for the buyer. And you would understand, obviously, in the legal sector, you know, you have um, defence and prosecution. The, the equivalent in, in real estate is you had the selling agent, but there was no one on that defence side or, or that buyer side looking after buyers. And and in my experience in real estate, I made a lot of mistakes. I took advice from the wrong people, i.e. real estate agents. One of them was a very close friend who I trusted. And I learned the hard way that he had no interest in helping me as a friend. He was all about the deal and it cost me enormous amounts of money. So through my um, working in managed investment scheme real estate, I ended up transitioning into buyer advocacy that way and have been doing that for over 12 years now. You know, I think what I find fascinating about what you've just said is I've spoken with a number of both buyers advocates and vendors advocates, but most of them have come into it through being a real estate agent. So it's interesting that you've brought a very different background in here and that might come into it as we talk about some of the negotiations. Absolutely. Coming into this role, where very much you are the negotiator on behalf of the buyer or the vendor that you're representing, as well as giving them that industry advice and, and helping them make the right choices. How have you developed your negotiation skills over your career? Look, I guess it's been a case of, you know, it's not just negotiation per se, it's having a good understanding about people, how people tick it's having a level of emotional intelligence, particularly when you're dealing with other people on the other side of the negotiation that don't necessarily have that. Um, unfortunately, this is an industry where there's a lot of narcissism. There are a lot of people in the industry where their highest value is money and it's all about churning deals, doing deals, move on to the next one. Um, and that's where clients on the buying side really need to fiercely be protected because there are a lot of sharks out there. So over the years, you know, I've done courses that have included everything from dealing with difficult people to negotiation strategy to just, you know, personality types, um, what motivates people. You know, some people are, are deals and outcome-based, others are relationship-based. And I also work intuitively, which sounds a bit weird, but, you know, I have a balance of working logically and I also work intuitively as well. So I'm pretty good at tuning into who's, you know, telling me rubbish and, and who's, you know, playing games and who's saying one thing but doing another. One of the things that you've mentioned is that you've had to deal with a lot of narcissists in the industry. What are your tips for people? And perhaps you can give an example. Yeah, look, it's really challenging because when you're coming across people like that, you know, they need their egos stroked. They need to be put on a pedestal. I really struggle playing that game. It's really difficult for me to do that because I'm generally a bit of a, a straight shooter. And, of course, you, you have to be careful calling out someone with that particular um, personality type because they can take it out on you. And when I'm dealing with an agent who has those tendencies and they're in control as to whether or not my offer gets to a vendor or not when legally they're obliged to do it but it doesn't mean they actually will, 
it's always treading a very fine line. And so I have to sum up every negotiation, every agent and every situation on a case-by-case basis and play the game. If I have to smile sweetly and suck up, even though I mean none of it, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's what my clients are paying me to do. It's understanding who's on the other side of the, the negotiation. Because the reality is, in terms of what I do, the only thing that's ever consistent is me with my bag of tools and techniques and skills that I use to get an outcome. So in every instance, I've got a different client. We might be looking at multiple properties where there's a different vendor or a different agent um, and a different property. And then it's a case of trying to pull all of those things together and get outcomes so that my client's happy, but also so that it's a win-win for all. So I'm not interested, you know, a lot of these narcissists, narcissists really are all about getting off on getting a deal and bragging and telling their vendor how fantastic they are and aren't they a legend, whereas I'd prefer to try to work towards a a win-win solution to a degree. And it may be that sometimes my client ends up better off um, or their client might end up slightly better off, but it's always about what's the biggest agenda. Is it to get the property and then everything else is secondary or is it that everything has to be included in the negotiation? If we don't tick every box, well, then we walk away. And, of course, that's determined by budget, the market conditions at the time, supply factors at the time. So there's a lot of stuff that comes into it, and it can be very complex. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's taking that time to really understand, particularly from your client's perspective up front, what are all of their interests, not just the money. And I think so many people go into a negotiation just thinking it's about price, but it really is. And, you know, that idea about understanding all of that from your client's perspective. So a successful negotiation is not necessarily the lowest price, but it's the best overall deal. And then you've got to understand that from the other side so that you're ticking the boxes for them. Yeah. So, Miriam, have you ever had a situation where you've been acting for a purchaser and perhaps you're getting a sense that the vendor's agent isn't giving you the full picture about what the the vendor themselves wants? Maybe there's a hidden agenda or the vendor's agent's own agenda is coming out and you've had to then go behind that agent to try and understand what's really important for the vendor themselves to get a deal done? Yeah, well, we rarely have the ability to liaise directly with a vendor. Um, Unfortunately, agents have the ability to liaise with our buyers just through the information they collect when they walk in and look at a property, unless they're introduced through us and and we're the only contact. But, you know, and agents do have their own agenda. Some of them will not present a deal um, if there's something attractive more coming in, it means they're going to get a, a faster settlement or, you know, a bigger commission or something along those lines. And it depends on the market that you're in. It depends on the individual integrity of the agent, the agency they work for, because um, there are rules and then there's a code of conduct, but then there's everyone and how they do it individually. So generally, I mean, it's just a case of trying to extract as much information from the agent as possible. I'm pretty you know, pretty straight shooter. Um, And I'm also not there to muck around either. We're either going to buy it or we're not. And it's going to be at the right price with the right terms or it's not. And, you know, if it's not going to be the case, well, that's okay. We'll go off and find something else. So I just find I usually try and approach it in a very practical way. If I feel that I'm not getting the full story, well, usually there's a second person who's on the listing um, with the primary person. And if I can make a call to that other person and extract other information. I'll try and do that as well. Yeah, I love it. Change the players if you're not uh, getting the results that you need. I think that's a great piece of advice. So I'm really interested because I haven't had a lot of property transactions, but I know when we sold our last home, we 
used vendors advocate, but one of the things that we were really conscious to try and do was to set up a structure for the commission that tried to align more closely our interests with the vendors. Because one of the issues that I hear often in the the vendor market is that the only interest of the vendor's agent is to sell the property. The price is not so relevant for them because the marginal difference to their commission is relatively small. What have you done to try and more closely align agents' interests with vendors? So when I work as a vendor advocate, for me, it's actually about getting the best person for the job. And I'm very fortunate. You know, I've worked with over a thousand agents in my buyer advocacy career and I've come across the good, the bad and the ugly. And the bad and the ugly are really bad and they're really ugly. So I focus on the good agents that I've had good experiences with. They're professional. They're not egomaniacs. They don't underquote. They're not arrogant. You know, they've got some warmth and some integrity and some honesty to them. So straight up, I'm only pulling in agents that I am comfortable from my own personal experience having dealt with and they've proven to be good operators. And then I um, interview those agents in conjunction with my client and then we, we agree on the commission that they'll earn and then my split with the agent, for want of a better word, is already determined. But the fact of the matter is that if they don't get the outcome and, you know, that we're looking for, so, for example, if a property doesn't sell at auction, then we talk about what the next steps are and what the options are. And it may be that we're, you know, listing it for private sale at a particular price and then the market will also give us feedback around where they see that price. So, you know, in a hot market where properties almost sell themselves, and, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but there's always a better outcome and a better chance of getting good out from for a client. But when we're heading into what's a slowing or a softening market, like the current conditions we're in, sometimes it's a reality check with, um, you know, a vendor in terms of, you know, what you want and where the market's at are two different things. And you do have to make a tough decision. Are you willing to meet the market or do you want to take it off the market altogether and then revisit it down the track when things improve? So, you know, every situation's case by case and every vendor's circumstances are different. And some of them have to sell and some of them don't. Once again, getting their interests really drives everything, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, but look, well, I suppose from my point of view, I don't have an issue paying a really good agent a fair fee if they're very good at what they do. And in recent months in particular, I've had multiple clients where just through the nature of the type of property that they've purchased, it's been compromised in some way. So it hasn't been what we call an A-grade property that's going to fly out the door with lots of competition. It's usually been a C-grade property with very few buyers. And in four or five scenarios, each of those properties has only had one buyer that the agents had to work with. Now, as far as I'm concerned, they absolutely deserve the fee that they got if they're able to use their skill set and experience to get that buyer over the line to get a deal done. Because if they don't get an outcome from that individual buyer, well, then the property just doesn't sell. So my take on it, whether you're working with a buyer or a vendor advocate, it's not so much about the fee, but the value delivery that they're going to give to you. Um, There are plenty of what I call fake buyer agents in the market at the moment. They're coming in with no real estate experience. They've done some, you know, online course, which is not accredited. They're using marketing to call themselves experts. And we both know that you don't have expertise without experience, yet they're out there marketing that and they're charging similar fees to someone like me with 25 years experience. But if you don't know the questions to ask to dig deeper, to get them to demonstrate, you know, the results that they get and and show their so-called expertise, well, then... You know, you can find someone cheap, but as you and I both know, it doesn't mean they're good. Exactly. In fact, often there's a a direct correlation between cheap and bad. And it'll cost them more in the long run. Absolutely. 
So have you got a particular example of a negotiation in mind of either one where you've done something different that's worked really well or perhaps one that stood out for you as a really big learning experience? Um, probably a couple I can talk to, one's metro, one's regional. So I had a, a client who I work with clients, some who find the properties themselves and then they'll get me in to do the assess and negotiate or clients will engage me to do the whole search, assess and negotiate. But in this instance, the client found the particular property herself. It was in Albert Park. It was quite an unusual property. It had a very odd shaped block. It was a very small block of land and it had a very limited buyer pool, which meant there was unlikely to be much competition on it because it had, I suppose, some restrictions. And, and obviously I made my client aware of the limitations and the potential detrimental effect that they could have on future capital growth and future resale, but she had a heart set on it. Um, and this particular property was going to auction. Uh, the top of the quote range was uh, 1,550,000 and my client had a maximum budget of 1,500,000. Uh, so, we know that straight up the agent did a vendor bid at the top of the quote range, which was really interesting. Um, the property passed in uh, to nobody. I then had a conversation with the agent as to where the vendor's reserve was and made it clear that, you know, we weren't at that level. If they weren't going to negotiate, then that was it for us. So I actually walked away, but my car was parked so that I could sit there and just observe what was going on out the front of the property um, between uh, auctions. And um, I think within about 15 minutes of me walking away, the agent called to say that someone had come back and given them an offer and did my client want to participate? And I had been sitting there observing and didn't see anyone come back. So straight up, I knew that they were not telling the truth. So I started asking a series of questions, you know, is it on a contract? Will you show me that contract? So it's about playing the game. And um, when I got uh, the answers that made it evident to me that there was no genuine offer, I basically knew they were bluffing and I said, that's fine, let the other person have it, um, to which point they were quite shocked because their bluff failed. Uh, and obviously my client was a bit stressed about it, but we spoke about what was likely to happen and, and needless to say, I got a phone call back on the Monday to say the other person's finance had fallen over and did we want to present an offer. And the irony around that is when you buy a property at auction, you're buying unconditionally, there is no opportunity for finance um, conditions. So, again, that didn't make sense, but we did throw our hat in the ring. Um, we put an offer in at 1470 and after three weeks, we eventually bought it for $1.5 So that was just a case of, you know, knowing the nature of the beast, listening to what they were saying and, and working to catch them out. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, to, to take that more generally for people who might be doing different types of negotiations, it is that idea, isn't it? You know, if you think someone's bluffing and particularly if you've got um, a sense that it's likely that they'll bluff, being able to get that evidence and support that and know that it's it's not true. And then just as you did say, well, show me the written offer, um, calling their bluff without actually having to accuse them of bluffing, um, but actually putting them in a position where they can sort of step back and save a bit of face um, by coming back with a different strategy is, is a good way of sort of keeping things under control. Yeah. And look, there'll be agents who say, no, I can't show you that for privacy reasons, which is just an excuse to show you to, for the fact that they've got nothing to show you. So if you don't... Well, that's it, yeah. because you can always say, show me, but blank out, Correct. you know, you can redact yeah. redact the name exactly. and address of the buyer. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, so look, that was, uh, I suppose, a uh, 
where most buyers would be manipulated because they're emotionally attached to an outcome. So my role is to help a client take the emotion out of it. I'm the buffer between them and the agent. They're often yeah. susceptible to manipulation and lies and they, because they don't know what they don't know when it comes to the buying process. This is where more often than not people come unstuck and they don't know it until it's too late. Yeah. I think what you're also doing, though, is helping them with that fear factor. And, you know, I come back again um, to the first time that my husband and I bought a house and we used a, a buyer's advocate for the reason that we were, I particularly, he would tell you, uh, was particularly attached to the house and desperate to get it. It was beautiful. I loved yeah. it. Had to have it. Yeah. Um, and yet we both wanted, we knew it wasn't our long-term house, yeah. so we both wanted to make sure it was very commercial at the same time yeah. and not go over a sensible limit. Yeah. And, you know, I think that was the the benefit for us was while we were a bit desperate and may have gone above what we thought was a sensible limit, um, having someone there to take that stress away um, enabled us to get the result that we ultimately wanted. And, you know, interestingly, in our case, we actually bought the property um, we'd put an offer in prior to auction and we actually bought that uh, property for, I think it was about $44,000 less than what we'd offered on what was then, it was a while back, a $750,000 home. So Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the that, advantage too. I mean, a buyer's advocate can provide you with anonymity. So you would have possibly shown your hand in terms of who you were before the auction, but then working with an advocate, um, in an ideal world, if you hadn't have done that, that would have been great. But at least they were able to represent you and provide you with anonymity when they went back in to negotiate. Yeah, exactly. And and what we did to keep that anonymity was actually we put the offer in my husband's oh, name. Yeah. And then I was actually the one that then was was buying it. So when we both walked in at the end, because having put the offer in, we were waiting for that call to say, hey, there's been lots of interest. Do you want to put in something? Um, do you want to up your bid? And it never came. And um, so when they saw that we were the ones that walked in at the end, because we weren't at the auction, we came in later to sign it. When they worked out it was us, they were mortified. Yeah, and that is what happens. I mean, I've done that myself where I put an offering in a spouse name and then dealt with the other partner. So, look, I mean, our role is to use every tactic that we can to get the best possible outcome for our client. Um, but mm. buyers just need to remember that they're dealing sometimes with very, very skilled agents who've had significant amounts of training in terms of manipulating people and their emotions to, to get the result that they're after. And unfortunately, some of them take it to the whole lying concept and uh, don't have integrity, yep. and, and that was a good example of it. Um, another example of a negotiation, I suppose, what I do, I'm pretty fierce in my negotiations. I tend to squeeze everything I can out of every deal for every client. Um, certainly, I buy a lot of property regionally. We buy in Geelong, Bendigo, Ballarat, and I had a client that I was working with in Ballarat and it was a particular time when the regulations came out with the Residential Tenancies Act and the minimum standards came in. So there was a lot of pretty poor quality stock coming to the market. And I think we had a run of three where we put we put offers in on two and each of those first two had problems with the bathrooms, whereas fundamentally there were issues with the flooring, which meant the whole bathroom had to be renovated. And in each instance, I went in trying to negotiate a rebate um, back to the client of roughly $20,000 each time to cover the cost of that re renovation and each time it didn't work, so we walked away. But by the third time, I'd found um, a vendor where we got to inspect the property within eight hours of it being listed, uh, do all our due diligence, turned it around in less than 24 hours, had an offer in, 
managed to um, get it all documented and then through our building and pest inspection came up with the same issue of the $20,000 rebate because there were some issues to the bathroom needing a renovation and some guttering and in the end the vendor agreed. Uh, so the cost of those renovations cost my client I think $15,000. They had five grand cash ahead of them. Uh, they bought an amazing asset. They had it renovated based on the rebate um, that I was able to secure for them. And it also more than covered my fees as well. So, you know, you want to make sure that if you're working with a buyer advocate, that they're going to go for the extra because I don't know many that do. And particularly ex-selling agents, and this isn't this, this isn't everyone, but a lot of ex-selling agents have never unlearned how to be a selling agent and learned how to be an advocate. That's such a great point. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I, it's a different perspective, a different mindset, isn't well, it's it? Well, totally, because selling agents tend to be transactional, whereas buyer advocates, particularly me with my financial planning background, I'm consultative and I work consultatively to get a client an outcome. So the worst buyer advocates in the industry churn deals, they put pressure on clients at auction, they try and get more money out of them, and they're all tactics that selling agents use. So if you've got a buyer advocate who's ever rung you and tried to squeeze more money out of you under a, a highly pressured situation like that, they are not doing the best thing for you. And that's where their, their behaviour as an ex-selling agent comes out. So you have to be pretty wary again who you're going to engage because I know those selling agents out there and I see a lot of them do a lot of deals but you know what they're not going to always fight to help you pay the minimum I know one poor client engaged a competitor because he was cheaper and she basically said I really love that property I'm happy to pay full price for it so what did he do no negotiation whatsoever <laughs> he did no due diligence he put nothing in there to protect her in terms of a building and pest inspection he just signed up the deal and flipped her on and she ended up settling and finding out that there were $30,000 worth of building issues. And I said to her, and she came to me and said, I'm not going to use him for vendor advocacy. He'll flick it to a friend of his. I don't trust him. I want you to help me. And we got an incredible outcome. But I said to her, you've got a legal case against this guy. I mean, he didn't represent your interests at all. He did absolutely nothing that he should have done to ensure that you were protected. And it's not his job to take your order. It's his job to make sure that he helps you get the property that you want. But he still has to do due diligence and make sure you're protected in the process. If I were you, I'd consider taking action against him. And there's a lot of that out there. Yeah, it's an unfortunate thing within the industry, isn't it, because it's less regulated than the real estate agents themselves, I guess. Yeah, well, but technically a buyer's advocate is a real estate agent. So, you know, the thing is it all comes down to individual integrity, it comes down to training, it comes down to understanding that buyer advocacy is not transactional. We might have a client on our book for six months, we might miss out three times and you'll buy on the fourth time and you get paid one fee. So what I, what I really can't stand are the agents that leave sales because they think advocacy is easy because they think it's just about overpaying and nothing else and they're the lazy ones and the ones that are bringing our industry into disrepute. Well, I think there's some great tips there for anyone who is contemplating buying a house at the moment and looking at getting themselves an advocate. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Miriam. It's been really interesting hearing about some of your experiences and some great tips for people for dealing with some of those agents and managing bluffs and things like that if they're negotiating by themselves or for negotiating with their advocate to come on board. So thank you. Very welcome. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, Miriam, and have a discussion about what you do and learn some more, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so we offer a complimentary consultation so people can just jump onto the website. It's propertymavens, M-A-V-E-N-S.com.au. So that's all one word, propertymavens.com.au. 
or our phone number is 03 Um, And yeah, we'd love to have a chat and let people know how we can help them, whether it's buying property or helping them sell um, an existing property, whether it's to upgrade or downsize or, you know, divest of assets, whatever the case may be. Fantastic. And I'll put all of your social media details on the show notes for people as well so that they can easily find and follow you. So once again, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you, Nicole. It's been fantastic. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. If you've taken away some great tips from this episode, I'd love to hear about it. So please connect with me via my website or LinkedIn. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to learn more tips to improve your negotiations, head to our website, nicoledavidsonnegotiation.com.au, where you can follow my blog, view presentations and download resource sheets. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you get every episode as it comes out. If you have an interesting negotiation story that you'd like to share with my audience, head to the website and complete a guest application form. Until the next episode, happy negotiating.